Welcome to the Pete on Software podcast, where we program with passion. This is the podcast that discusses technology, the business side of software, and the tech people that drive our industry. And now, here's your host, Pete Shearer. Hi, and welcome to episode 11 of the Pete on Software podcast. I'm recording this on Sunday, March 16th, 2014. Today, I have an interview with Ron Carter. Ron was a consultant for many years for companies like Cambridge Technology Partners, Keen, IBM, and CIO for healthcare and financial organizations in Fortune 100 and Fortune 1000 sized companies. I've also had the pleasure of working with Ron on several different projects, and I respect him a great deal. Ron has taught me more about business and the business side of software than anyone else, so I'm excited for you to get to know him too. Here's the interview. Hi, Ron. How are you doing? Thanks for being on the show. No problem, Pete. So one question I like to ask everybody is, how did you get started in technology and why is this the career path that you're on? Technology for me was sort of picked out for me. Uh, It's kind of a family thing. My mother worked for IBM. My sister works for IBM. My brother worked for IBM. And so we're all IBMers at heart. And it was kind of my destiny. So I'm not trying to call you old or (laughs) hint at your age at all. But, you know, you've you've been in the industry for a long time. And I know you. And I know that you're very current on what's up to date as of you know, right now. So how do you stay current with all those trends, especially in your position where you don't necessarily work with it, you know, hands in day to day? How do you still stay current being at the level that you're at? Well, being at this position, one of the things you have to do is rely on your team. Um, And one of the things that I was taught by my mentors and I try to employ on a daily basis is picking a good team and keeping a good team. And I rely on my team to push me towards what's relevant and what's current, what's new, what's bleeding edge and what's leading edge. And based upon the direction they give me, uh, I learn through them and keep them motivated to stay on the front end. All right. So what are some of the things you do to keep them motivated? When you say, you know, keep the team motivated, how do you make sure that they're doing that and they're they're pushing for the current edge then so that you can be? Smart people aren't that hard to push. And, and this assumes that you have smart people, but smart people aren't that hard to push. You just have to get out of their way. Uh, one of the things I do is I simply set the expectations that not only can they stay relevant, play around with new technologies, but it's expected that they do that. That's sort of like asking a runner to run. Smart people naturally want to stay and play with new technologies, uh, new gizmos, new gadgets, whether it be the Samsung watch or whether it be uh, a new language. uh, It doesn't really matter. Smart people naturally want to do that. All I have to do is clear the obstacles for them. Okay, so then, you know, that kind of leads into, you know, you define a little bit of what you see you're doing. Is that how you define the role of CIO in an organization and how it fits in, or is there a broader definition? CIO has pretty much three jobs, uh, today, tomorrow, and uh, leading the company. Uh, As an executive in any organization, whether you're the CFO, the CIO, the COO, the CSO, uh, it doesn't matter. As an executive in the organization, you have a primary responsibility to lead the organization into tomorrow as a team. Uh, whether that be mergers and acquisitions, looking at industry trends, product development, new products and services, you have a voice in that, and that voice is a very necessary voice for tomorrow. So that's the first job of a CIO is to be a part, uh, a valuable member and a contributing member to the senior staff of any organization. The second part is to manage tomorrow. A CIO has to innovate. They have to isolate and identify the, the technological trends that could help the business Not technology for technology's sake, but how can technology grow the company? How can technology provide a sustained competitive advantage for the organization? How can technology help uh, beat out a competitor? How can technology help a client 
beat out a competitor because mm-hmm. the clients have to compete as well. So probably one level of, of being having an eye on tomorrow, one level of that is helping the sales team beat out their competitors. Yeah. But the advanced level of that is helping your clients beat out their competitors. And then the last part of being a CIO is managing day-to-day, making sure that today is taken care of, that the systems are up, uh, that, that the systems are scalable, that they're extensible, and that you have a process in place that allows you to take in business requirements and crank out automation be it through COTS packages, uh, vendor management, or custom coding. Okay. I've known you've, I know you've led a lot of teams of all sorts of different skills makeups. How do you decide the strategy you're going to use when you come into somewhere? So, you know, you know, what are some of those strategies? What do you look at? What's the indicator that says, I'm going to use strategy A, I'm going to use strategy B, I'm going to use a little of A, a little of B. You know, what do you look for to, to figure out how you're going to go? Well, the, the primary fit is it has to fit the organization. If an organization has a really... Uh, good process for technology prioritization, ROI definition, and a pretty good senior staff, then you can fit model A into that. Uh, If an organization has a very bad prioritization model for IT, which most organizations have a very bad prioritization model for IT, uh, then that changes uh, your flexibility. At the end of the day, what you're trying to do is put together a team that can roll out technology. Sometimes that's Uh, Model A, where you have a lot of junior people and a couple of smart people. Uh, Sometimes that's Model B, where you have very siloed teams, uh, a silo of team that work for infrastructure, a silo of teams that work with the packages, off-the-shelf packages, and a silo of teams that work with application A, and they never touch application B. There are a lot of different models, but it really is predicated upon the, the, the development of the senior staff of the organization because they ultimately drive the request and the funnel into IT. You know, you mentioned, you know, senior staff's come up a couple times here. We were talking about implementing a model. So you're going to come into somewhere. You're a brand new CIO in, as far as the company's concerned. Uh, you've got a senior staff that you you are just getting filled, uh, to fill out. How do you build that trust as a new executive that you're going to come in here, not only uh, with a team that you're building a growing your own tech team, but with the, the senior staff team as well? Well, I think with any endeavor, whether it be a basketball team, a football team, a CIO, any business, winning is everything. And I think the only way to build trust is to show demonstrable successes. And when organizations of any kind see results, they see increased sales, they see uh, increased ability, they see revenue per employee, they see an overall performance gain from a productivity perspective. They see stability. When an organization sees results, that's what builds trust. And business is different than personal relationships. Uh, Trust means something entirely different in personal relationships. But in business, it's about results. And wins mean everything. Something I thought when I was younger in my career that I'd want to be a developer forever uh, and, you know, as I've gone on, some of the more strategic things that have come up in business and the technology, the business of technology are starting to appeal to me. So how would someone who is a developer know if they were suited for higher leadership level roles, like talking VP of app dev or even to the, you know, the C-suite, the CIO, CTO? So what point of the career uh, or markers in a career might indicate that this is a good choice for someone? Or is this something that's hardly ever a good fit to take someone out of the, the trenches and put them up there? Well, there's a lot of paths to being a CIO. Uh, I was talking to someone the other day about an organization where the former head of HR took over as CIO. 
Now, I'm not endorsing that as a good model. I'm just simply saying there's a lot of paths to being a CIO. From a developer perspective, I've never met a developer that was not absolutely positively sure that they could be a better CIO than the one that they're working under today. So that just kind of goes with the confidence that's associated with developers. But in order for a developer to know whether that would be a good fit for them, I think they have to, first of all, learn and understand what that job really is. I would probably say outsiders looking into the CIO role probably don't understand it. Most people don't understand it. They have their own perspective of what that role looks like. And until they get into that role and get into that position, they, for example, feel that why won't the CIO just go into a room and tell the CEO that this common sense solution A is what we should do. And if the CIO only did that, then life would be better. They don't really understand that the CIO has done that, that the CIO has presented the facts. And then the CIO tried to sell it. And then the CIO tried to educate. And then the CIO tried to bribe them. And then the CIO tried to trade them functionality for functionality. Uh, And then the CIO tried to just force his will to get this thing done. Most mobile endeavors are not because the business embraced it. Uh, Most mobile endeavors are because marketing just took it and did it or because the CIO said they will see the value after we deliver it. So I'm going to force my will and have it done. Most people don't really understand the role of the CIO. So for a developer to really be able to ascertain whether that's a role for them in the future, first of all, they need to understand the role a lot better. Once they understand the role, most developers are smart guys, and they can really look at what it really takes to be a CIO and and determine whether that's something that, that floats their boat, whether that's something that makes them excited. Most developers like writing code. Most developers like innovating. They don't want to play politics. They don't want to mentor and manage people. They don't want to deal with those types of things. And that's 80% of a a CIO's role. They leave technology to the team that they hire, and they entrust the team that they hire to run forward with with the technological skills and with the technological underpinnings that make technology and automation within an organization successful. They have to walk away from that. So if there's any number one thing they need to consider, that is, are they ready to walk away from technology? There's not many code writing CIOs out there that are successful. Right. Uh, so what would a developer need to do who, who looked at it and thinks that he's ready to take that next step? I mean, is it valuable? Should he get an MBA? Should he, you know, where's he going to learn how to play some of those politics or, or like interact with some of those people uh, at, at a certain level that's their level instead of the, like you said, and the mayor may not have been a subtle dig at me, uh, the, why can't you just go in there and explain sense? You know, so you, obviously that's a lesson you've learned somewhere along the way. So, you know, is school a good way to do that? Is it just going to be hard knocks? What, what do you think? You know, I'm a person that thinks that an MBA helps you prepare to run your own business, not necessarily be a CIO. Um, I think uh, the, the time-honored tradition of if you want your boss's job, then you do your boss's job uh, is the only way to learn. There are no shortcuts. There's no way to skip from developer to CIO, not unless you find another way to learn all the competencies that are associated with being a CIO and being a successful CIO. Those competencies don't just get attributed to you when you come out of the womb. They're not taught in grade school or high school or college. Uh, Those are things you have to learn by doing. So if you want to move up the chain, then you have to learn from your boss and then learn enough to take his position and then move up the chain again. Uh, I came from 
development to uh, spend some time as a DBA, then an architect, then a project manager. I was always trying to replace my boss wherever I went. But in doing that, I learned a lot from my bosses over time and learned what made them successful and, and then employed what they learned, plus my own different take on things, which typically were bad ideas. <laughs> so taking a little tangent from where we're at, what market do you think needs information technology in the biggest way right now? So if we're in technology and we're looking to solve problems, which market is just ripe for that and just really needs the, the kind of help that technology can offer? Well, if you take the age of an industry, take all the industries and, and put them in an Excel spreadsheet, and put the age of the industry, and then sort it in descending order, uh, that I answer your question. Um, all new industries, newer industries, uh, are basically dysfunctional. And where there is dysfunction is there is a need for technology. The reason why healthcare is the center stage today, whether it be Obamacare or uh, Medicare or, you know, take your pick of the cares, workers' comp, etc. Healthcare is at the center stage for technology today because it's one of the latest industries that have yet to see uh, regulation. They have yet to see substantial M&A activity. They have yet to see some of those things. Now, they're starting to see it now. Um, dysfunctional industries are ripe for technology. So find the dysfunctional industry and it will be ripe for technology. Okay. You mentioned earlier, you know, trying to get mobile into an organization. Do you think is mobile the future? Is that where things are really heading towards and and it's a very important market or do you think mobile's a fad, you know, something that's just it's going to come and go? Well, you know, there's more mobile devices today on the planet in the hands of people than there are desktops. Uh, it would be insane to call that a fad. Uh, mobile is a new desktop. It's just that simple. It's not a. It's not anything more than the evolution of technology. Uh, I, I I laugh sometimes being a Star Trek fan, and I go back to the communicator that they just touch the chest and they start talking to whoever it is they want to talk to. Mm -hmm. um, technology will get smaller and smaller and then bigger and bigger, but but what it also will, will get is more individualized to the person that's using it. And mobile technology is just another step towards that individualization, if that's a word uh, of technology in my hand. Uh, Google Glasses is nothing more than another mobile device. They just put it on your eyes versus in your hand. Technology would continue to get pushed to the individual, and, and mobile is definitely something that's taking it there. So it's here to stay. Um, I know a lot of CIOs that are developing uh, their technology roadmap with a mobile-first mindset, mm -hmm. which means that all of their solutions are being designed with a mobile mindset before they even look at portal mindset or desktop mindset. They're looking at the mobile-first as a strategy, and I think that's where it's going to, to go until mobile is replaced by the next technology. You know, with, with the... Um advent of mobile and with the advent of some of the technologies that we're having, you know, remote working is becoming a bigger thing. And there was a big stink last year when Marissa Meyer, who's the CEO of Yahoo, ended their remote worker program. Where do you stand on remote working, either as a permanent situation for your employees or a working option that, you know, employees can utilize? And if there's some kind of depends, what kind of factors do you think about when you implement that process? You know, there's a fairly large organization that just finished some layoffs. Uh, and I think this is the third or fourth year in a row that they've done those layoffs. And one of the things that you can tell by watching what they've done is that the layoffs were driven uh, by finance decisions. I don't believe that anything is a yes or no. Remote working is, is not a yes or no. It, it all depends on the organization. Also, the implementation 
of that strategy is, is, is very important as well. I believe that there's nothing wrong with remote working and remote development. Um, the video gaming industry has thrived for years under that model. It works for that industry. It works well for that industry. I think the adoption of agile development life cycle is going to probably help the remote development strategy work for a lot of organizations. But but like we talked about earlier with the size of organizations and what do you look for to implement a model when you come to an organization, it really is about the character, the culture, and the processes of the organization. You can take two healthcare companies that do the exact same business and remote workforce will work for one and not the other, and it will have more to do with the leadership there than it will with anything else. It would also have to do with the talent that they have there. Remote workforce involves either A, a highly sophisticated and trustworthy team that can work remotely, or you have to implement enough tools to systematically know the productivity of the people that are working remotely. You have to do one or the other. In development, it's very difficult to measure productivity. You can't use lines of code. Uh, there's not a lot of things you can use to, to absolutely measure productivity when it comes to development. So it really comes down to the, the trust uh, of the team. You know, as you're coming up and even now as you're looking forward uh, for the rest of your career and, and just the way you, where you think things are going for you, who do you see as a role model or someone you want to aspire to be like that you see and you say, okay, I want to take you know p- bits and pieces of what they're doing here and, and incorporate that into myself? Oh, my role models are, are more about leadership role models um, because that's at the end of the day, that's my job. Um, I'm a leadership through technology, but my primary core competency needs to surround the ability to be an effective leader. So my, my role models there are probably uh, some of the names you would know, Jack Welch, Warren Buffett, uh, Steve Jobs, and some of the things uh, that he accomplished and the way he went about accomplishing those things. Just leaders that have innovated in markets that were not really inviting in innovation at the time, that have managed to lead a great team of people and to build a great team of people and be able to succeed through that team and through that leadership ability. If you, one of your buddies just got his first job as a CIO, what kind of advice would you give a brand new CIO uh, on their first day of the job so that they could be successful? Don't be a CIO. That would be the first thing I'd tell them. (laughs) You know, if I was starting all over again, what would I tell myself? Uh, I would tell myself to be more humble. Don't make assumptions. Don't think that every thought that comes through your head is perfect. And definitely don't think that every thought that comes through your head is original. It's been thought before. A lot of new CIOs, I know for me, uh, it was about my generation of ideas. I almost felt like I, I was getting paid. If I had 10 great ideas, then I should get paid for those great ideas. And then really, the ideas are not original. And as hard as that is for people to accept and to stomach, they really are not original ideas. It is the ability to get those ideas operationalized that matter. And the, the competencies that it takes to go from idea to production has more to do with communication, uh, relationship management, all those soft skills that we as technologists ignore, uh, all those soft skills that we as technologists, we assume because we work in an arena of logic that if we focus on the bits and the bytes and the zeros and the ones that we can ignore uh, the, the communication protocols and, and how to be an effective leader. Uh, when in reality, they're at the core of every technological solution 
is a person, is a user, is a consumer of that technology. All of the decisions that are made to bring that technology to production are made by people, by CFOs, by marketing people, by salespeople, by operational people. They are the customers of IT. And our ability to interact and collaborate with those customers is the key to success for a CIO. So to a new CIO, I would tell them to hire the best technological team that you can find and trust them to lead the technology effort. Get your head out of the bits and the bytes and fully embrace the fact that your role now is to facilitate those solutions with the senior business leaders of the organization. All right, well said. I agree with you. Uh, I think that's really it's a good answer. Well, I think that's it for now. And thanks so much for being on. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Anytime. All right. Uh, well, and if it's all right, I think I'd like to have the chance to have you back on again, either as a, a semi-regular thing or just as questions come up that listeners might uh, put in, maybe give you a chance to talk about that from your kind of perspective. I'd be happy to. This, this helps me probably more than it helped anyone else because it forces me to remember what's important and helps me stay on my game. All right. Well, cool. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks again to Ron Carter for being on the show this week. My pick of the week this week is 2048, not the year. 2048 is an extremely addictive game by Gabrielle Cerulli. Forgive me if I butchered that last name. What you do is you use your arrow keys to move the tiles, and when two tiles of the same number touch, they merge into one that is the sum of those numbers. The goal is to keep merging and make larger and larger numbers to get the highest possible score. You can check it out at get.io slash 2048. That's it for this week. If you have any feedback, you can reach me on Twitter as at PeteOnSoftware or find me on my blog at PeteOnSoftware.com. If you enjoyed this episode or the podcast in general, please consider leaving some feedback on iTunes or wherever you found me. Those reviews and rankings will help my podcast be found by others. You can find links to all the places that my podcast can be found at www.PeteOnSoftware.com slash podcast. See you next time. 